Father, I thank You that You love us. And I thank You that You've given us Your Word, that You've revealed Yourself to us. And I ask, Father God, that as we look at Your Word this morning, that we would be transformed. Holy Spirit, stir in our hearts a desire to be more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us, Father God. Help us to glorify You in this service, in our fellowship, in all that we say and do. This morning is the gathered church. Thank you, Father God. In Christ's name, amen. A couple of things that I want to make sure that you're aware of. Um, if you didn't know, today is Mother's Day. So congratulations, moms. And we're thankful for all of our moms because without our moms, none of us would exist. It's just the way it is. The other thing is that at the end of our service, we're going to have a baptism, and that's going to be fun, because that means somebody is making a commitment to Christ. And in many ways, that fits with where the message is going to be today, too. So be ready, brother. You ready? All right, good. This is the time that we get a watch as our, our children go downstairs to Children's Church. And they're going to be up in a little bit and help us celebrate. And there they go. That is amazing. So fun. So as, as they're going out, if you'd find your way to Matthew chapter 5, we're going to continue the study in the Beatitudes. This is our second message in the Beatitudes. And we're going to look at the first Beatitude. If you remember, just a little bit to remind us of where this is all at, Jesus was being followed by large crowds. And he was being followed by these crowds because he healed the sick. He healed the demon-possessed and the cripples. And, and he spoke with an unwavering authority. Jesus attracted people from every part of society. The religious, like the Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, and the Zealots. He attracted them. He attracted the educated and the uneducated. He attracted harlots and tax collectors and rich men and poor men and beggars and outcasts. His appeal knew no religious, economic, educational, society, or racial boundary. It's still true today. Jesus is, is everywhere. I was just reminded, just popped into my head. They're estimating that in, in, a, in like a, maybe a decade or so, there will be more believers in China than there are in the United States. The church of Jesus Christ is alive and well. It's, it's growing. This, this Christianity, this thing that Jesus began, knows no boundaries. As Jesus begins this sermon, we call it the Sermon on the Mount, he presents his followers with the, the reality, the possibility of being blessed. And blessed in its basic form, as it's used here, means happiness, freedom from cares. Being blessed is a supernatural sense of contentment based on being right with God. Being blessed, them really as the Bible uses the term, is, is completely at odds. It's in conflict with the world's understanding of being happy. We, we try to, to dabble in that, but the world's sense of happiness just doesn't work. 
The world's happiness is, is based on selfishness and, and the values of the kingdom of darkness. The happiness of, of the Beatitudes, the happiness of Christianity is from the kingdom of light and truth. As, as we go through life, even as believers, we're impacted by the world in which we live. We're influenced by the culture around us. Media, technology, music, movies, food, recreation, everything relentlessly begs for us to view life from the world's point of view. Our thinking can easily be corrupted by this relentless pursuit of the, of the culture around us. And, and we can be corrupted to the point that we, we find happiness to be more and more difficult and I mean the, the biblical kind of happiness, the happiness that can't be taken away. This, this being influenced or, or corrupted by the culture, I call it cultural assimilation. And what I mean by that is giving, giving in to the continual pressure to think and live like the worldly culture around us. It's very easy to do. The Beatitudes are important for us because they're deep, soul-changing truths that reveal God's standard for living. And in that standard of living, His standard of living, we find God's kingdom of joy, peace, and happiness. So these are not just sayings that, that, that we can skim by. These are important for helping us deal with where we live in the culture that we live in. Let's look at the passage that we're looking at today. It's just two verses. Matthew chapter 5, verse 2. Jesus, he's going to teach. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So this is the first beatitude. And he begins with the poor in spirit. He begins with that because it is the fundamental characteristic of Christianity and fundamental to a, Christ, a citizen of God's kingdom. This is foundational. This is fundamental. Being poor in spirit is foundational for all the Beatitudes. This is, this is the foundation that all of the other Beatitudes that we're going to look at rests upon. This is spiritual beginning. The only way into God's kingdom and genuine happiness is to confess to God your unworthiness and incapacity to live up to God's standard of holiness. Paul puts it this way in Philippians 3, beginning in verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, 
the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Realizing, as Paul does, realizing our spiritual poverty, poverty apart from God is being poor in spirit. This is, this is where we're at. Now, this is Mother's Day. So if you came to have just all warm fuzzies today, maybe a, at least the first part of this message is going to be hard for you. Because we're going to talk about being poor in spirit and how important that is. I want to honor moms, but this is one of the things that we need to be able to deal with on an everyday basis. Moms need to be poor in spirit too. And very often they are. Each one of us needs to understand this truth. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Jesus uses the word poor. And, and, and that word there comes from the Greek verb meaning to shrink or cower or cringe. It was used to describe total poverty. Having absolute, absolutely nothing and being reduced to begging for every need. Now, now, I went through a whole bunch of commentaries and things this week, and there are, there are some who try to make this beatitude all about material poverty. When we think of poverty, that's usually where we go. I think of the people that I've seen, particularly in India, where you can really see poverty. Most of the time in the United States, you do not see poverty. We call it that, but we don't have people living in poverty like we do, like you'd see in India. However, if we're going to go to the material side, that's not where Jesus goes, and that's not what Jesus taught. If being blessed is to, is to be poor materially, then we as the church, as believers, we need to be working hard to make everyone materially poor. This would contradict the instructions in Scripture of giving to the poor and how we're encouraged to help people out of poverty. If Jesus means material poverty here, then we should no longer help orphans or widows or help people after natural disasters or feed people starving because of war and famine. The poverty that Jesus is talking about is spiritual poverty. Spiritual poverty. We need to remember that a spiritual journey begins with a realization that we are unable to come into the presence of God. Left on our own, we can't do that. A person cannot enter God's kingdom and cannot be truly happy, the biblical kind of happy, until their spiritual bankruptcy and poverty is realized. I want you to come away from this Mother's Day message going, I am bankrupt. I'm in poverty. Does that encourage anybody? I want you to realize that because it comes with the other part. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is important for us. It's foundational. The majority of those who gathered to hear Jesus speak when he gave this, this, this sermon, they, they, were, they were Jews. That, primarily, they were Jews. And Jews were 
very proud of their identification as God's chosen people. They were confident of their religious practice. They were very confident in how they practiced their beliefs and their ceremonies. They believed that those, those practices would cause them to be in God's kingdom. They were self-righteous. Jesus begins his sermon by telling them they have no access to God unless they are spiritually bankrupt, totally impoverished. This poverty is the beginning and is foundational to receiving all of God's other gracious gifts. It's the beginning. It's the beginning because if a person is not poor in spirit, they can't experience the glorious happiness God offers because they're not with him. If my life is all about my self-righteousness and my accomplishments and my own standards of morality, I cannot find God. If I believe my own accomplishments and good life will gain me access to God, I will only find emptiness and disappointment. I found a quote from John MacArthur about this. Think about this. I like this. As long as my hand is full of that dirt, that dirt would be my own self-righteousness, my own stuff. So as long as my hand is full of that dirt, it can never receive the gold of God's grace. The truth of who Christ is cannot be seen by someone who's not poor in spirit. We begin seeing Jesus as Savior, King, and Lord when we are bankrupt, totally in need, and understand our worthlessness because of our sin nature. That's the beginning. It's also the beginning because pride has to be broken. Pride is at the very top of the list of things that God detests. Proverbs 16.5 says, Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Assuredly, he will not be unpunished. Pride. Pride. Pride is putting your confidence in your achievements, your goodness, your standards of morality, your standard of living, your personal religious rituals. It's putting it in your stuff. Pride is an unwillingness to acknowledge that your very best is filthy rags. That's what Paul was telling us. The word poor back in verse 3, Matthew chapter 5, it was used in that culture to describe a poverty so severe that you had no resources, no ability to acquire anything without begging. And in that first century culture, this kind of poverty was so humiliating that a man would crouch down and cover his face with a garment so that no one would know his identity. And I've seen this kind of poverty in India where people will beg and they will ask you for for something, but they won't won't show their face to you. It's it's like this. I see this. The point Jesus is making then is the kingdom of God is for those who know they are spiritually bankrupt and turn humbly to him. When we are spiritually bankrupt, we know we've got to have him. 
The person who is poor in spirit realizes he or she can only be helped by God. This is, this is taught so many places in Scripture. I, I like Psalms 34, 18. The Lord is near. I like that, right? But near to who? To the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. This beatitude really contrasted the teaching of the Pharisees, the idea they had of receiving the kingdom of God. They were, they were very proud of their own righteousness. In Romans chapter 10, verse 3, Paul even says that the Pharisees were seeking to establish their own righteousness. Jesus tells a story. It's an excellent story that illustrates this idea. This difference between the pride of self-righteousness and and the humility of the poor in spirit. It's in Luke chapter 18 and beginning in verse 9. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and, and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisees... That the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. It's a beautiful illustration of this idea of being poor in spirit. Tax collectors... They were the scum. They were hated by everyone in Israel. They were despicable thieves, profiting by working with the Romans. They were the worst. The Pharisees, on the other hand, they thought of themselves as righteous because they kept the law. But the reality of of, of it is they were hypocrites because they couldn't keep the law any better than any other Jew at the time. They weren't any better. Jesus was very critical of the Pharisees. He said, they do not practice what they preach. In that story that Jesus told, notice the the, the attitude of the tax collector. He would not even lift his eyes to heaven. He's poor. In spirit. And, and by the way, poor, you know, if, we, if we we're talking about material things, that tax collector was probably one of the wealthiest people in society because he's ripping everybody off. So he's got all kinds of money. So his poverty is, doesn't have anything to do with material possessions. He is poor in spirit. Being poor in spirit is where everything to do with a godly life begins. But that's not where it ends. Because each one of us 
continues to struggle with our sin nature, we must continually confess to God that we need His grace, His mercy, and power to continue to be transformed in this life. We've got to continually demonstrate we're poor in spirit. The result of being poor in spirit is what? Jesus says, it's the kingdom of heaven. So what does he mean by the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven means, you know, it, it refers to, to God. So, you, you know, that's one way you can think of the kingdom of heaven. It's God. It also refers to the sovereign rule of Christ. It refers to coming into the inheritance provided by the blood sacrifice of Jesus. So that's also part of the kingdom that Jesus is speaking of. You you inherit something because of what Jesus did. We also understand from Scripture that the kingdom of God is both a future kingdom and a present kingdom. We wait expectantly as believers for the future kingdom when Jesus will return. We live in the present kingdom each day as believers. In this life, the believer, the poor in spirit, has kingdom grace, kingdom mercy, kingdom wisdom, kingdom joy, and kingdom peace. It's about the kingdom if you're a believer, if you're, if you're poor in spirit. The poor in spirit, those who believe in Jesus, we also have the assurance that our sovereign king cares for each one of us. Our king cares for his subjects. He comforts and disciplines and loves and gives wisdom to the poor in spirit. In this life, there's, there's multiple reasons why happiness is fleeting when it's based on the things of the world. Happiness, you can be happy right now and in 30 seconds be totally in despair. Because if your happiness is based on the things of this world, like we talked about last week, that can be ripped away from you in an instant. There's so many ways that our, uh, our way of life can become unhappy. But the promise of Jesus and all of Scripture is happiness resulting from spiritual poverty cannot be taken away. It can't be tampered with. That's a good place to be. This this blessedness, this happiness based on spiritual poverty, it's eternally settled because of what Jesus has done. It's like this. I, I believe in the work of Jesus on the cross, his death, burial, and his resurrection. I believe that. Therefore, I'm in the kingdom. I have the kingdom. And the king of the universe cares for me. And you, anyone out there, anywhere here I go, you will lose if you mess with the source of my spiritual happiness. No one's going to take that away from me. The source of my spiritual happiness is my dad. He's the king. He's the sovereign. He's the creator of the universe. And I'm his child. 
Go ahead, I dare you, take him on. This is, won't work. This is, this is vital to how we live as believers. We're broken, yeah. Poor in spirit. But in that brokenness, we look to God for everything. So how do we do this? How can we put some practicals to this? This being poor in spirit. I've got a couple of things. The, the first one is that we compare our holiness and our righteousness to God. This, this is a challenge. And what, what you're doing is you're measuring yourself, measuring who you are, your righteousness, according to God's standards. Where we very often err is that we compare ourselves with other people. I, I hear this quite often because I'll be talking with somebody and, 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 they'll, and they'll, they'll find out I'm a pastor and they go, oh, you must be so righteous and, and your life is just, I can never be like you because everything in your life is just all holy and perfect and good and, and warm and fuzzy and your marriage is just perfect and, and your life, everything you put your hand to must be really good because you're a pastor. Ain't true. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. They're comparing themselves to me. That's not where we should go. We compare ourselves to God, to His standard, to His righteousness. Don't compare yourself to somebody else. Compare yourself to God. So one of the ways we can do that is we just ask some questions like, Are you holy? Are you holy? You're supposed to be, because the word says, you know, we're to be, be holy. First Peter 1.16, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. He's talking to us. He's talking to believers. So are you holy? Whose holiness are you basing that on? God's holiness. If you're not holy like God, if you're not at that level of holiness, then you're a wretched, black-hearted, poor-in-spirit sinner. And that sounds like a downer, but that's a good thing. Later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us to be perfect. Matthew 5, 48. He says, this is a difficult one, because I, I tend to be a perfectionist. It's not exactly what this is talking about. Jesus says, you therefore, so he's speaking to all believers, he says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So if you're a believer here or watching today, are you perfect? Are you perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect? Whoa. At least there's one honest person. Where we can go to figure this out is you read the Bible and you evaluate yourself on the perfection based on what you see in Scripture. How does the, the Scripture portray God's perfection? It's perfection. It, it, there isn't anything better. He can't learn. He can't get better. He is absolutely perfect in every way that we could, we could devise to think of perfection. Are you perfect? The more you look at God, the more you realize you're not perfect. 
So we look at God and we evaluate our life by His character, by His holiness, His wisdom, His ability. And what's the result of that examination? You are poor in spirit. That's one of the, the ways we do this. This, this is a, a daily, this is a regular kind of journey that we take. Wow, God is so perfect, so holy, so great, and so magnificent, and I'm not. And because I'm not, I need Him. A, a second way that we can, we can work in this is, is prayer. The image of being poor that I've, I've given you this morning is of a beggar. And that, that word that is used there is very descriptive of begging. And, and beggars ask for help. And I, and I want to remind you that the beggar that I'm talking about, the, the beggar part of this poverty, this, this word represents, is, is not usually what you're going to find on the streets in the United States. Where really the, the panhandlers, those asking for a handout, they're, they're doing a manipulative kind of thing. That's not what this is. This is the total lack of everything and anything. And, and they're begging. But what does the beggar do? Asks for something. I remember encountering a beggar on the sidewalk in Chennai, India. And, and there's a whole row of them. And they're crippled and they're smelly and they're gross. And they don't want to look at you, but they want a coin. And if they find out that you're an American, they really want one of your coins. I mean, you know, if you, if you took out like a quarter, a U.S. quarter, and you threw it on the ground, you'd have a riot. But you'll, you'll go along, and they ask for something. That's begging, isn't it? That's begging. They're beggars. So... When you realize that you don't come close to God, God's standard, we pray. What do we do when we pray? We're asking. Okay, are you saying that we beg? Do we go to God and beg? Well, maybe that's what we ought to do. We need to spend time asking God. We need to be spending time in prayer. And maybe maybe more of our life needs to be realizing who we are. In reality, that evaluation, that we're poor in spirit. And so that we can pray like the tax collector. That's a prayer. That is an incredibly important prayer that Jesus told the story about. What's the prayer? Oh God, have mercy on me. Do you pray that? God, have mercy on me. I believe we know we are poor in spirit when we long when we long for Jesus in every situation. Every situation. No matter where you go, no matter what you're involved with, I, I need Jesus. We love to look at Jesus. We, we, we're poor in spirit and we, we, we fit into this, this beatitude when we just love to see Jesus. We're, we're poor in spirit and and we receive the kingdom when, when we hunger. When we hunger like, like starving people for Scripture. 
I wrote this, and in, in one of the images I had of the starving was, it's a, it's a village in, in, in India, and every single child in that village had the distended belly of malnutrition. They're starving to death. They don't have good water. They're starving to death. We need to be like that, only, only we're, we're going to the Scripture. We're going to the Scripture because that gives us the nourishment that we really need. The same idea. We, we're so thirsty for the truth that we will spend as much time possible drinking from the well of truth found in the Bible. If you've ever been really thirsty, you just, you just want something to drink and you'll spend whatever time it takes to quench the thirst. We do the same thing with the Word of God. We, we're poor in spirit and we receive the kingdom when we are poor in spirit and when we, we find phenomenal, awesome, amazing truth in Scripture. And when we find that truth in Scripture, we don't then take it and twist it to make it fit our lifestyle. That's something the Pharisees were doing. But instead, we let the truth of Scripture transform our thinking, our behavior, and our relationships. So God's Word does something in us. Along with that, we know we're poor in spirit when we stop complaining and criticizing. And we see God's creative wonder in every circumstance and in each person. I challenge you sometime, go someplace where there's lots of people. Maybe it's an airport. That's, that's a common place. Or, or, or someplace. There's lots of people. Every single person that you see, every single person that you're around is created by God. They carry some of the imagery of God. They're... they're they're his. They, they, need, they need to know who Jesus is or they already know Jesus. They're, they're part of who, who God is. So there's a wonder in that. Every circumstance that you're in, do you find God in, that, in those circumstances? Do we find and see God's wise hand in each situation that we're in in life. Is that a part of how you think? This is, this is what's happening right now, good, bad, or otherwise. Whoa, God's in this. That's pretty incredible. Before the baptism, I want us to, to think about it and, and pray right quick. The same prayer as the beggar the tax collector. And that prayer is simple and easy. Have mercy on us, O great King and Savior. Father, I thank You that You are the great King. You are totally what we need. Holy Spirit, illuminate our, our hearts, our minds. 
in such a way that we recognize how desperately we are in need of what we can only receive from you, from Jesus, from, from our Father. Holy Spirit, stir us up so that we understand your word, so that we see and understand who God is. Help us to deal with being poor in spirit. And let that not be a heavy, weighty negative, but a positive because as a person who's poor in spirit, we can say, I need you, Jesus. Have mercy on me, O great King and Savior. Father, be glorified in our lives. And let us be people who are poor in spirit everywhere we go, that others would see that we have the kingdom. Thank you, Father God, for this time this morning. And now, Father, I thank you that we have opportunity as the body of Christ to see a young man make a public declaration of who he is in Jesus. He's making a public declaration that he's poor in spirit. He's not going to say that because he's kind of wound up. Father, thank you that we can rejoice and celebrate with KJ this morning as he accepts his responsibility as a believer. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name, amen.